The previous parak as well as this parak talk about the laws of inheritance. And we already saw at the end of the previous parak that there are two very different ways in which a daughter of the person who died can receive part of the inheritance. One is if she is the first one in line for the inheritance. That would be in a case where the person who died had no male children. He had no sons. In that case, the next one in line for the inheritance are the daughters. However, even in a situation where they are not the ones who inherit the father, namely in a case where the father had sons and they inherited the father, the daughters nevertheless have a right to be supported and fed from that which the father leaves behind as his inheritance. The reason for this is because this is one of the conditions in the kasuba. The kasuba is a document which is written up at the time of marriage, where the person getting married obligates himself with certain things. And one of the things written in the kasuba is that when he dies, his daughters will be supported from the inheritance. Begins the Mishnah. Mishnah means somebody who dies, and he leaves behind both sons and daughters. So in this case, who's going to inherit him in terms of the laws of inheritance? Certainly only the sons. In a time, in a situation where there is a lot, he leaves behind a lot of possessions, and that means that there is enough to support the daughters until they reach the age of 12 and a half. From the age of 12 and a half, they are known as a begeres, which is a woman who has fully matured. And the obligation to support them, which comes as a result of the kasuba, is only until they're of age until they become bas mitzvah. So if there is enough money in the, inherit- in the inheritance to support these daughters until the age of bas mitzvah, and there's still left over for the sons to also inherit, then habonim yeshuv the sons will inherit and the daughters will be fed. But if the property which he leaves behind is a small amount and there is not enough to support all of the daughters until they reach the age of 12 and a half years old, and for the sons to inherit, then who takes priority? Says the Mishnah, habonim yeshuv the daughters are fed, they are supported from the inheritance, the Habonim and the sons, they'll have to go asking people for money at the doors, meaning they'll have to go begging or make their money in some other way, but they are not going to receive any inheritance. The reason being that the right of the daughters to be supported from this inheritance came before the inheritance. Already at the time that the Kasuba was written, that money is already entitled to these girls. And so only if there is enough for them to be supported until 12 and a half years old, only then would the sons receive any remaining inheritance. Admin Oimer. Admin says, Because I am a male, I've lost out. We saw throughout the entire previous parak that a man always has more priority over the woman in terms of inheritance. The priority of inheritance lies with the sons. And according to Admain, the entire inheritance should be split between all of the sons and daughters, and they will all be supported and fed equally until the inheritance runs out. Oman Gamliel, Oman Gamliel said, I see and agree with the words of Admain. Interestingly, despite that, the halacha does not follow Admain. Mr. Base, a tumtum is somebody who is unknown whether he is a man or a woman. His male or female signs are covered up, and it is unknown whether he is a man or a woman. There is a machlokes whether he's certainly considered to be one of them, we just don't know. Or perhaps a tumtum has his own classification, and he's not considered to be either a man or a woman. And the truth is, the first half of this Mishnah we are going to understand to be according to the opinion that he is certainly either a man or a woman, we're just not sure. And the second half of the Mishnah actually goes according to the opinion of Rameshim Ben Gamliel, that a tumtum has his own classification. So what happens if somebody dies, he niach bonim with tumtum, and he leaves behind sons, daughters, and a tumtum. 
in a time, in a situation where the amount of property which he leaves behind is a lot, meaning the daughters receive what they need to support themselves until the age of 12 and a half years old, and all of the rest of inheritance is inherited by the sons, which is a much larger amount than just that which the daughters need to support themselves. So here, the sons receive much more than the daughters. What is the tumtum considered? Has the sons are able to push him to the daughters, and he would only receive enough money to support himself together with the daughters. And if there is only a small amount of property, such that the women would be the ones who are receiving all of it, and the sons wouldn't receive inheritance, or at least they're receiving less than the women, then the girls can push him to the male children, to the sons. However, he'll always receive the smaller amount. Since he is certainly either a man or a woman, so he's certainly entitled to at least the smaller amount of the inheritance. However, he only receives a smaller amount because when one wants to receive money, he needs to prove that he's entitled to that money, if it's not yet his. And over here, he cannot prove whether he's entitled to that money or not. And therefore, he has no right to cause the other children to lose out on money by him receiving more of it. So he is only entitled to the smaller amount of money. Now, according to Rishim and Gamliel, that he's neither a man or a woman, then it could very well be that he won't receive anything. He's not a son to inherit, and he's not a daughter to be included in the condition made at the, in the Kasuba that he'll be supported once the father dies. Continues the Mishnah, one who says, If my wife gives birth to a male child, to a son, he should take a hundred zuz from me. I want to give a gift to the fetus which is in my wife's womb and has not yet been born. And the question of the Mishnah is, is that gift halakhically valid? In general, it's impossible to give a gift to somebody who no longer, who not yet exists. And in general, if somebody wants to give a gift to a fetus, it is not valid for once he is born. However, the Mishnah says, if she gave birth to a male child, then that male child is entitled to a hundred zuz from that gift. The reason is that we are discussing, the Gemara explains, a shechiv marah. A shechiv marah is somebody who is lying on their deathbed, and we already learned in the previous parak that the Chachomim instituted that although in general, in order to give somebody else a gift, a real act of acquisition needs to be performed, and one can't just say it verbally, nevertheless, a shechiv marah can transfer ownership to somebody else, even just verbally, by saying it. The reason being that if this is not the case, then he might get stressed out. He wants to give something to somebody, but he can't, and it might bring his death closer. And therefore, the Rabbonon instituted that he is able to give over possession of something even just by saying it. And on a similar note, he's also able to give away a gift to his child who has not yet been born, as long as the child is a fetus, in order to avoid the danger of bringing his death closer. Right? And if he says that if my wife gives birth to a Nekeva, a female child, Mosayim, she should take 200 zuz, it might have been common then for him to give more money to the girl who won't necessarily be able to support herself as easily. Yoldon Akevos, if, uh, if his wife gives birth to a girl, then Noteles Mosayim, that girl would be entitled to take 200 zuz. What happens if he says, I don't know what child my wife is going to have, im mone, if it will be a boy, a male child, then he should take mone 100 zuz in the keva. If it will be a girl, then Mosayim, she should take 200 zuz. And then what happened? She gave birth to twins, the Yoldon Zohar and Akeva. She gave birth to both a son and a daughter. Says the Mishnah, The male child takes a hundred zuz, and the girl takes two hundred zuz, 
because we assume that this was also included in the person's intention. Had he known he was going to have twins, he would have said the same thing. He just wants to give a son or a daughter a different amount. But it's not that he only wants to give one of them. So we assume that it is included in his intention, had he known that he would ha- was having twins, and therefore the gift is fully valid to both of them. Yolda Tumtum, what happens if she gives birth to a Tumtum? In a note, he doesn't take anything because this is the opinion of Shimbing Gamliel that a Tumtum is neither a Zohar nor an Akeva. He has his own classification, Im Omar. But if he said, Whatever my wife's, my, my, my wife gives birth to, he should take this amount of money. So then, even a Tumtum, of course, has a Yitoil, he would be entitled to take that money because he's certainly considered a child. As well as that, what happens if somebody dies and the only child which he has is a tumtum? And he is the only one in line for the inheritance. He would inherit everything. Even according to Mishim Gamliel, that he's not considered to be a son or a daughter, it's learned from Pesukim that any type of child takes precedence over anybody else when it comes to the inheritance. So it's true, if there are sons or daughters, then the Tumtum wouldn't receive, according to Mishim Gamliel. But if he's the only inheritor, then he would inherit the father. If somebody dies, and he leaves behind older and younger children. And it's really the responsibility of the Beistin, when it comes to the younger children who still need to be supported, it's the responsibility of the Beistin to appoint somebody to take care of their needs and to take their portion of the inheritance and for him to support them until they are mature enough. But we're talking before the inheritance has been split. And the older children improved the property. Let's say the father left behind fields and the field needed harvesting, whatever it may be. So the older children went, or one particular child went, and he spent the time hiring workers to work the field, to plant in the field, and to sow the field. The Mishnah says, It's considered that they have improved the field for the middle. The middle meaning for the entire inheritance. The amount that the field improves is shared by all of the inheritors. And the Gemara explains that we're talking about a case where they use the money of the inheritance. They didn't use their own money. All they did was they spent the time and they went to the bother of arranging all of this and hiring workers, etc. So on that small amount, there is an assumption that they are willing to forego on being paid for that. And the rest of it, since they used the inheritance money in order to improve the field, so all of the inheritors would share in that improvement. However, in Omru, if they said in front of Beistin or in front of witnesses, See what our father left behind for us. We are going to work in this field and eat from the improvement, benefit from the improvement of the field ourselves. So here they are showing that they don't intend to give this over to all of the inheritors to share. Rather, they're improving it for their own sake. And now it's really the responsibility of the Beistin to split the inheritance and take care of the younger inheritors. But all of the improvement which goes to the field, the Misha says, would go to the people who put the bother into it, and they would be the ones benefiting from it. Because there is no longer that assumption that they were willing to go into this bother for the sake of all of the inheritors. They said explicitly that they're not, they're not willing to do that, and that they are doing it for themselves. And the Basin should really get their act together quicker to take care of the younger inheritors. But since they said before they were improving the field that they were doing it for themselves, they would indeed take all of the benefit for themselves. The mission now talks about a very similar case, but where a woman is one of the inheritors of her husband. Now we learned at the beginning of the Perak that a woman does not inherit her husband. So we must be talking about a case where she's inheriting her husband for a different reason. She is the husband's niece, the husband's brother's daughter. Since the husband's brother inherits him, 
in a case where the husband had no children. So if the brothers died, then his children are next in line, even if they are daughters, as we learned in the previous parak. So the mission says, The same applies to a woman who was one of the nieces, so she was one of the inheritors, and she improved the property of her husband. Again, it's assumed that she does it for everybody. But in Omrev, she said, See what my husband left for me. I'm going to work in the field. I'm going to organize work in the field and eat from the benefits. She's showing that she wants to do it for herself. And therefore, she would receive all of the improvement for herself. It was common in the times of the Mishnah for the king or the government, more accurately the government, to, to appoint certain people to do jobs like tax collecting. And there would be a rotation as to who would do it. And they would appoint a particular member of a family to do it. And it could be that they would be paid to do this. And it might be they're paid more than in a regular job. In which case it would actually be a gain. So the says that brothers who are partners, and this means that they have inherited their father, but have not yet split up the inheritance for each one to go alone, to take their own portion. And one of the members of this family, one of the brothers, falls to this job. He's appointed to take on this job for a while, and he gets paid quite a lot for it. Says the mission, not all the empts are the benefit which he gets from that job falls to the middle and would become jointly shared by all of the brothers. Because the reason why he got this job is not of his own right, but it's for being a member and a representative of that family. What happens if Cholo, he becomes ill? So the Gemara actually says if he becomes ill, then the medical fees can actually be taken from the inheritance as a whole. He doesn't need to pay for all of it himself alone. However, we're talking about a case where he became ill because of his own negligence. He was in the cold or the heat for a long time, and that's what caused him to be ill. So since it is his fault, Vinisrape, if he gets healed, but there are medical costs, and Srape Michel Atzma, he needs to be healed from his own pocket, and he needs to pay for all of it. The next part of the Mishnah discusses something known as Shushvinus. Shushvinus was a custom that when somebody got married, his friends would send certain gifts or money to the person getting married. And this wasn't a full gift without getting anything in return. It was considered to be the accepted thing that people who would give Shushvinus to somebody else would receive in return when he got married. So much so that if when he gets married, the other person who receives Shushvinus from him doesn't give him Shushvinus, you can actually take him to Bastin and demand that money. So it's sort of a gift, but not really a gift. It's more similar to a loan. So then it just says, If whilst the father was still alive, he appointed certain members of the family, a number of these brothers, let's say there are five brothers, he appointed two of them to send these Shushvinus gifts to a particular man getting married, but he sent them as a representative of the family, not as the individuals. And therefore, if the Shushvinus comes back from that person when one of these brothers gets married, the Shushvinus does not go to this particular brother, the one getting married, rather, it goes back to be shared between all of them, because when it was originally sent, it was sent by the entire family as a whole. So they are all entitled to it when it, gets, when it comes back. Shushvinus is based in... Because like we explained, the Shushvinus can be collected in Bastin. It's considered a real loan and not just a gift without any halachic obligations which come with it. However, says the Mishnah, one who sends to his friend jugs of wine or jugs of oil, 
at his wedding, so he gives him these gifts at the wedding. This is not considered to be a significant gift which comes under the category of Shushvinus. Rather, this is considered to be a real gift for the sake of the wedding feast or for the sake of the bride and groom. This was not the sort of thing which was sent as part of the Shushvinus, and therefore Enon and Gabriel they are not collected in Bastin. It's considered to be a regular gift because it's just considered to be a kind act to give this to the people getting married. And because of that, if one of these brothers gets married and receives something like this, he would not share it with everybody. That's considered to be a gift just for him.